Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Steven. Brendan, Ooh. hey. Well, that hey. was the first time we did it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, me too. We should do that every episode. We should try. See if we can get yeah. it to line up perfectly. <laughs> That's a little like, I just somehow imagine us both in onesie pajamas going like, hello, I'm Steven. Hello, I'm Brendan. Brendan, Steven. And then going to bed. Like, that's like a weird, <laughs> a weird ritual we have. <laughs> I know that was the first thought I had, but... Uh, yeah, that's... Okay. Anyway, tell me about <laughs> the game you've been playing on the Nintendo Switch. I will. It comes with such added pressure and uh, just a lot of a lot of stuff going on. Um, I'm playing Final Fantasy VII Steven, on the say Switch. new, interesting, in-depth things about Final Fantasy VII in 2019. <laughs> There's this new album out I just discovered called Nevermind by Nirvana, uh, and I want to kind of go track by track and, and tell you what it means to me. Can you believe that Tom York made a computer album? <laughs> <laughs> These boy bands aren't boys. They're like 30. <laughs> Some good 2000s hot takes for you. I remember there was a really heated interview with Hanson, uh, who I love, mm. but Hanson was Someone interviewed, this might have been a dream I had, but someone interviewed Hanson about the term boy band. And they were like, screw the Backstreet Boys, screw NSYNC, they're like 30, we're actually boys. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't wrong. They were wow. like really, at least two of them were very young when they, uh, they were all young. But like they were, like one of them was like jarringly young. One of them, the drummer was like nine when Hanson was big. I do like the idea of gatekeeping boy bands though. That's Hanson's like, uh, uh, uh. Once you're past fourteen, you're a man band. You can't, you can't <laughs> stomp on mbop. Is it is it boy band, man band, then dad rock? Is it like that? Oh shit! Yeah, I guess so. I guess in terms of like dad rock, to me is hmm really interesting. I would love a boy band that's trying to be dad rock, and Pearl Jam's like, uh uh uh, stop, stop it. <laughs> you're not ready for this. I remember. Uh, do you like the band Guided by Voices? I don't know them. I mean, I've, I've heard the name, but I've never listened yeah, to them. Yeah, they're like a big like lo-fi band or whatever, but mm -hmm. I like them. But I was talking to I was talking to a friend of mine who we have very similar tastes in music. We just saw Japanese Breakfast at Talia Hall together. It was an awesome time. Yes. And we were we were going through it, you know, like, oh, you should listen to this. Oh, if you like them, it was a great time. And then I mentioned Guy by Voices, and he went, oh, no. And I felt so awful. <laughs> and he said, that just strikes me as like overly drunk dad rock. And I'm like, oh, you're not wrong. So, uh, well, what are the qualifiers for dad rock, would you say? Because to me, it kind of rings with a negative connotation, which maybe it shouldn't. Maybe it should have a bit more of a neutral vibe, but I think yeah. it has a negative tone. It does. It definitely does, which is interesting. I I always feel so weird being like, I like dad rock, because I definitely do. Like, I enjoy yeah. whatever that is, but I can only really describe it by way of listing bands that I would considered to be dad rock you know like what I mean? he here's the thing there's dad rock where i think of like being in a lift and someone is only playing creed and i'm like this is boring and like this mm. this to me is dad rock in a negative sense then there's music that i think fathers now who are like in our age ballpark uh -huh. liked growing up and that's all the stuff that i like so does dad rock change i think so well like there's new dad rock right like the war on drugs right that's dad rock right what would you say the Pixies are? I would say the Pixies are are just like a, a 90s band. Okay. Because I love the Pixies and yeah. I'm fine with them being dad rock if that was the case. But that's a cool that's a cool I think dad. bands that want to be the Pixies now are dad rock. Okay. Interesting. 
you know. Well, that's that's it. That's the official label. But what's a boy band? <laughs> <laughs> Hanson and no one else. Hanson is the boy band. Actually, Hanson is now dad rock. It's gone full circle. They are all fathers of many. Have you yeah. seen them? I have not seen them. No, they're good. They're I I don't I can't really name a song, but there was some article that was like Hanson is back, baby. And I'm like, I got to just at say this. fathers of many, which sounds like it could be a dad rock band. <laughs> they're all dads i think they're all they all have like three plus kids if memory serves wow but they're talented musicians i like that they're like hey we had a big hit in the 90s when we were very young and we were like chill with the success and now we're just like playing some tunes if you want to hear them that's (laughs) probably the best case scenario that could have happened to a boy band yeah honestly. totally I, I wish that more bands could have that turnaround from the from the one hit wonder and then yeah like, turn yeah back around. like fountains of wayne is one of those bands that i really wish would like come back in some way and people would just like check out some songs that aren't stacy's mom and be like oh yeah there's a venue near my apartment that had a big banner for aaron carter and i didn't know how i felt about that he is a real he's not great we could have a whole yeah he's not great and I was just like, this is a very specific audience. I think that would that would seek out Aaron Carter yeah. in 2019. He beat Shaq, and then he beat my preconceived notions of who Aaron Carter was later on Twitter.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's a less catchy song. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's no good. Not a boy band or dad rock. Just bad. Yeah, bad rock. Bad rock. Final Fantasy VII. We've put it <laughs> off long enough. I'll say that an episode not too long ago, it was called the ninth Final Fantasy. I kind of talk about playing Final Fantasy IX, which was recently ported to the Switch. They are slowly porting all the big Final Fantasies over, with the glowing exception of eight, sadly. But one by one, they're coming out. And I talk in the episode about FF9, kind of what the series means to me. But just to brush over it again, FF7 in particular is the game that showed me that video games can be something different. I think that game came out in 97. I got it when I was nine and it felt like a very monumental experience at a very young age. Mm -hmm. I say all that because I cannot separate that from the game when I'm talking about it. Totally. But I don't think I'm alone. This is the game that kind of introduced JRPGs to the West in like a big way. Cloud is sort of the de facto RPG protagonist at this point. You can see that design echoed everywhere mm-hmm. the giant sword the spiky hair the kind of like aloof bogart-esque demeanor yeah absolutely and and sephiroth too in terms of iconic villains again it's kind of like talking about nirvana or talking about something huge where it's like of course but i think it's interesting to take a look at, at it now and, and see like where you could draw the influence that spread elsewhere and, and how it stands now so i'm going to try to go into it and and do my best to kind of talk about it and talk about my experience with it and and i've i've had some many revelations while playing it that I was happy to experience because I was kind of like all right I may talk about this I feel like I kind of touched all the points I wanted to make in the FF9 episode Mm -hmm. you'll like this it was my roommate's birthday and he it was like right after work on a weekday so I got home and I was kind of checked out and he came in he was like hey like I know it's late but do you want to like go out to get a drink for my birthday and I was like no and I'm playing FF7 so like worst case scenario for you I'm sorry (laughs) 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 he understood but uh, we did something later so don't think I'm a bad roommate I will say that I, I have never played Final Fantasy 7 and I've never even tried playing Final Fantasy 7. Like okay, so you've never I've, tried. No, I've always heard just glowing things. It is Kid A, like that, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. 
I have never even tried picking it up. It's weird that the ones that I have now tried are like 10, 15, and 9. And 9, yeah. I stand by 9 being the best entry point. I, that, that was kind of my main thesis in the ninth Final Fantasy episode, other than just gushing over it, was kind of like, okay, this feels like the game to play if you miss this bandwagon. Yeah. Because that whole game is kind of simultaneously an homage to past titles while also standing on its own. So I think you kind of get like a shotgun blast Final Fantasy experience. Right. The thing about 7... And I'll try to get into this point by point is that seven is still so strikingly different from the rest of the series, especially you had to remember when it came out. So to kind of get into it, seven was the first game that came out on PlayStation. So it was the first 3D Final Fantasy. Before that, they had been with Nintendo. Also before that, only like every other Final Fantasy game came out in the US, which is why the numbered system was thrown off. So in the US, we got one, which was one, two, which was secretly four, and three, which was six, and then we got seven. They're like, we're going to stop this madness while we can. Seven will be seven in both countries. And then later, they re-released the rest of them. So thankfully, we dodged the fate where seven was four and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So up until seven, every game is kind of in a similar setting. It's a very Final Fantasy has always been kind of a steampunk esque medieval fantasy, kind of Miyazaki esque, which is actually interesting because the creator of Final Fantasy or one of the creators cited Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind as influence for making Final Fantasy, uh, which was Miyazaki's like major directorial it wasn't his directorial debut but it was the movie that led to studio ghibli yeah um and in that movie people ride around on chickens which was the chocobo uh, influence there's also a whole race of like insects in that movie that look a lot like lavos does in chrono trigger but i'm not gonna get into this (laughs) (laughs) stop me while i'm ahead yeah nausicaa in the valley of the wind very influential film and manga you just hearing about the game kind of drew a comparison to miyazaki and i think that he's oddly had a bigger impact on final fantasy than than we realized but i say that because the setting has always been in that kind of ballpark and seven is strikingly contemporary the setting of seven when you when you start out for those not familiar with it you're in a place called midgar which you'll like because it's a direct nod to norse mythology and you know brendan in norse mythology wants to bring up odin he can't stop he can't stop talking about it. The hours of content that I've cut from this podcast of me just extolling the virtues of Norse mythology. Yeah, I'm like, I'm playing eight bound. He's like, you know, Boulder is beloved by all things except mistletoe. <laughs> I'm like, stop it, stop, stop it. Brendan Balder is benign to all things except mistletoe mm-hmm. Brendan. So Midgar is this heavily polluted dismal setting where this mega corporation that runs a bunch of power plants named Shinra live on the top plate with the rich and everyone else lives below the plate in this sunless, dirty, polluted city. Wow. It's honestly a pretty powerful game to play now when so much of our current political climate is about kind of taking on these corporations that are literally really killing the planet for their own yeah. profit and that's like to a t what is it's not that much more cartoonish sadly like playing this game you know shinra has always been like ha, 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 we'll destroy the slums and blame it on them <laughs> but it's like oh shit like not that they're doing that but you know this is a this is a company that is they basically had these things called mako reactors which drain the planet of its life to mm-hmm. produce energy and that's how they make their business but they also have their own military they're basically the empire in many ways yeah but with a heavy 
emphasis on them doing damage to the environment, which I can very much get behind in 2019 as an adult. You know what I mean? Like so many of these stories are about some kind of corrupt empire, but they're just like dicks. But this is like, oh, like this is about fighting global warming, isn't it? Okay, I'm in. (laughs) When did this game come out? Is this late 90s? 1997. Wow. Yeah. So basically the framing device is you are Cloud, who is an ex-member of Soldier, which is Shinra's elite guard. um, And he has joined a rebel group called Avalanche that are trying to uh, tackle Shinra, basically. So the first, the opening of the game is Cloud jumping off a train with this group of rebels planning a bomb and a Mako reactor to blow it up. Yeah. So their plan is to basically like blow up all eight Mako reactors in this Mm. place to kind of teach Shinra a lesson. Which is honestly such a cool intro. Most RPGs begin with doing chores, like I've always said. Like most of it's like, good morning, honey, take the dog outside. And then like you might buy a a cup of water from someone and then the town burns Kingdom Hearts 2 is literally pushing a big sack of mail up a fucking ramp. (laughs) (laughs) And FF7 just begins with you jumping off the train, which is great. No no intro is more harrowing, though, than Morrowind, where you have to do paperwork. (laughs) It's like, you get off a boat, like, hello, file the census with medieval DMV. shit. Uh, Kill me. (laughs) Box 12A, B, and C have to be filled out? Shit. Yeah. So Cloud right away is kind of a very now typical, like, whatever, I don't care kind of character who's paired with Barrett, who is a very much cares about everything character, which is a fun Mm. dynamic. And you slowly meet more and more characters. This game is famously kind of discussed with its localization, its translation, which is still pretty clunky in moments. Uh, You know, like, it's interesting that this port is overall pretty strong, but there's still some lines of dialogue that they didn't fix. And like, you know, it was either clear, like, typo or whatever. It's not, like, jarring. And I honestly am so familiar with the game that I've kind of made my own associations Mm. with the dialogue. But there's some moments where I think Cloud at one point is like, I neither care about Shinra nor Avalanche. I'm like, this is a bit formal for the scene. (laughs) But honestly, that stuff has never really affected me too much. I understand that there was probably a lot lost in translation, and I would love to see how the scripts compare. But I still think that the story is still very well paced. I mean, you jump right into the action. It moves a lot faster than a lot of RPGs do. And even with the combat, um, which I was kind of prepared for that to feel the most clunky, it's really fast. Like, it's still turn-based. It's similar to 9 where you wait for the meter to go. But the meter feels a lot faster, and the fights are over quicker. It's a little bit of an easier game, but I think that that actually is doing a service to the game because the battling is never getting in a way of progressing the story, which is basically why yeah, you're which Yeah, which ended up being my roadblock for 9. Like, that was kind of the reason why I fizzled right. out on that game was the more combat I had to do. As much as I was into it in the beginning, the less I started to like the game as a whole when all I really wanted was to see these characters interact and, and, and progress the story. Yeah, and I think realizing that while playing it, I think you might enjoy 7 for that reason because you can kind of just speed yeah. through it. The way the combat works is pretty interesting. Again, for those who don't know, if you are as familiar with F7 as I am, you know, you maybe put this on two times speed or whatever. <laughs> but uh, the way it works, which is another huge departure from the series, normally every character is kind of a class of some sort. So they're like a healer or a warrior yeah. or whatever. And this game, every 
everyone still has their own stats. So everyone is kind of more predisposition to play a certain role. Like Barrett has a lot of defense and a lot of health. Tifa is very fast and very strong. Um, Eris or Aerith, that's another name that was changed incorrectly mm. in translation, but she's a very heavy magic user. So the way it works is that everyone's weapons and armor have slots in them that you can put this thing called Materia. What is Materia? Well, it's Mako energy condensed into oh, its right. purest form. Of course. But basically, it's how you do spells. So green materia is spells like fire, ice, all that traditional stuff. Red materia are summons, which is very fun. Yellow is commands like steel, other things like that sense. And purple and blue. Blue is like you can pair it with other materia to have different effects. So one blue materia is called all. And if you pair that with cure, it cures everyone okay. kind of thing. And then purple materia gives you like more passive abilities. All that to be said, the more materia you put into someone, the better their mp goes up so like their magic points go up and their magic stats go up but their health goes down and their physical strength goes down so it's kind of a double-edged sword so certain characters you want to load up with materia other ones you don't but it gives you a lot of flexibility to kind of make every character play the way yeah. you want them to which i actually think is a lot of fun and and i i'm enjoying that way more than i remembered yeah enjoying it's pretty it. forward thinking i think for that time in jrpgs Absolutely. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, I like the class system a lot and in the older games, but you know, after six of them, they really needed to change it up. And I think that the material system also works well for this setting, which again is, is very contemporary and kind of like an urban yeah. fantasy almost. It reminds me a little bit of the comic saga, which is another kind of like big science fantasy story, but everything kind of has the aesthetic and the vibe of, of current yeah. society. So this game has now become strikingly nineties, even though that wasn't the intention which I really like like a lot of the random townspeople have like red hair like that's spiked and like leather yeah. jackets and like it kind of has a grunge vibe actually this might be the selling point for you because I know you and shoegaze <laughs> but um at one point in the in the opening cutscene, the famous opening cutscene of like the zoom out of Midgar and then the zoom into the train where Cloud jumps off that's this big banner for like a play called Loveless Sons. Right. And that banner is a direct nod to Loveless, the album by My Bloody oh, yeah. Valentine. Because apparently the developers were listening to that album a lot while making this game. And it's funny we brought up music before because this game does feel like the grungiest Final yeah. Fantasy. Everything about it kind of has like an edge to it. Which I think, and that's, that's something that like can often age poorly like but i think everything in this game still feels pretty cool at least to me someone yeah. who's not cool and I, I wonder how much of that has to do with when it came out also yeah said late 90s yeah 1997 so like late 90s were like generally considered as far as i can tell and i was i don't know five to to ten somewhere yeah. in that vicinity when this i came was out. seven yeah um <laughs> but like at, at that point it was generally considered like a pretty just chill time in the u.s and i imagine like right uh, at least in the mainstream yeah. way, like what was discussed in the spotlight. Yeah, I imagine like a the subversive story to tell in that time period would be something this dour and grungy and, and kind of like rolling around in the mud like that. That seems like the kind of thing that would take hold at that point. Whereas I think if that kind of story was told now, it'd be like, please, I just need something different. I need something happy, please. <laughs> you know? But that's that's what I like, too, is there's still room for that kind of brightness that the Final Fantasy series is is 
is right. usually known for, especially in a game like Nine, where it's a bit more cartoony and bright. There, there are still some f- funny moments here and there, and and you do really like the cast. I mean, I have such an affinity for this cast that I I wonder how well someone would gravitate towards them just playing it now for yeah. the first time. I do think certain characters are set up really well. Like everything with with Eris or Aerith is done really well, and that game is largely focused around like she is sort of the inciting event of the plot where like once you meet her it shows a different side of cloud and the team kind of then makes their goal less about it's kind of like last jedi where it's less about destroying what you hate and more about protecting what you love which i think is like a really nice pivot for such a like kind of grungy game in the beginning and i think what's also kind of a neat subversion is cloud he is a chosen one character who spoilers like slowly and gradually finds out that he's not the chosen one in any way really which i think is kind of a really cool take on it on a series that has always had that and they do a really good job of pacing that like right away whenever he like recalls a memory there's a weird like flash or he'll hear a voice telling him Mm -hmm. to say something different and like that with the foresight of knowing what happens i'm like oh that's a really neat clue they put in there so yeah man i i think that there are definitely things about it that have aged poorly i don't think that if someone new to the franchise picked this game up and was playing it for the first time if they would have the same magic that happened back in the day i do think though that this game is still so different despite the influence it's had and despite like how much it has been kind of people have attempted to like recreate it even square with their sequels and spinoffs like nothing has really captured this vibe it's almost like the whole game is is making (laughs) the fantasy element like it's something that when I played when I was a kid, when I heard the term fantasy, I always just assumed that that was Tolkien adjacent, you know? Because up until then, everything labeled as fantasy was wizards and dwarves mm-hmm. and, and elves and all that. And like, I liked all that stuff. But playing this game, I was like, fantasy could mean I'm in a heavily polluted city with a big ass sword, my friend with a gun for an arm, and there's like a dragon outside that just happens to be there. Like, I yeah. love that. And I think that even if that's not your vibe, if you don't really like a contemporary setting, just learning from a young age that fantasy, there are no limits mm-hmm. to that, that it doesn't have to be medieval elves and orcs it can be anything it was a really cool thing to learn at such a young age and i and i carry that with me even if i don't carry like this whole story with me yeah. at all times but I, and it got me thinking too because we talked a lot about this on the show of things aging well um and certainly that's something to keep in mind with both like okay maybe this moment wasn't handled as appropriately as it should have been like there's a whole segment in uh ff7 where cloud has to cross dress to get into an environment and like it's it's not for me to say how well it was handled i don't think it is handled very well (laughs) but you know like it's it doesn't feel like hateful it just kind of feels like okay they reply trying to make this a joke and it doesn't really it's not funny so i think that when you talk about something aging well i think it's worth looking at those moments that may have missed the mark and learning from it and not like completely just dismissing the whole game for it but just kind of being okay what can we draw from this experience and like what can we do better in the future as creators but i think that in terms of a game aging well in terms of the visuals and the gameplay and kind of less the story beats sometimes a game just serving as this was a staple of this era this was the first time something tried 
ride this and it had a huge impact that may have lost its edge over the years but it still exists if you want to go back and check in on it i think that that has a purpose and i think that for anyone listening who like me has a very very big place in their heart for this game i think that that's enough i think that you can still enjoy it and still value it while acknowledging that okay like we have moved on since then but i you know so i think that I wanted to challenge myself with the term age well in terms of like, I don't think that means that you have to dismiss a piece of media that 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 may have not aged well, because I think it still serves a purpose in getting the future to a better place. You know, you want to kind of face those those moments of error, not necessarily with the thing I mentioned with Cloud, but more so with like, okay, why is this cutscene this long? Or why is the random encounter rate this yeah. high or whatever? I think I am at a point where I like understanding what worked and what didn't work in a game like this. So I can kind of have a firmer idea of like what I'm looking for. And even kind of in my own writing, like, okay, like how, what's the best way to kind of handle a moment like this? That almost goes hand in hand with, um, with what I was talking about with Final Fantasy IX when I was finally playing it, where I wasn't super into the combat, but they had included a bunch of like, I don't want to say cheats, but they were kind of cheats that would let you, you know, do 9,000 damage every time you hit someone right. or your like move meter was filled up at all times, things like that. In that way, turning that stuff on and, and playing through the game with those like handicaps, I guess you could call them, really changed it to me from being like, I'm playing this like kind of clunky thing to I'm like flipping through history in a way, like I'm experiencing experiencing this game kind of sped up but still experiencing the thing that all these people attached to and really loved in a way that feels kind of more modern and kind of more truncated in that way and and it's interesting to hear that Final Fantasy 7 kind of is serving the same thing for you now even though you're so attached to it and even though you've played it so much like being able to go back and play it and and view it as a piece of history and kind of consider its future impact I think is is really cool and it's great that it's on the Nintendo Switch yeah exactly and I think that looking at what was done well too and like what games don't do as often I think the thing I love in these games is that sense of ensemble I think that I haven't really felt that as strongly until a game like Mass Effect or Persona 5 if those games like brought back this kind of sense of like oh this is my ragtag crew that I can invest in and like I think that's also why uh, a bit of a pivot but I love the From Software series because that's a game that rewards you getting genuinely invested Mm -hmm. in certain character stories you know, if you check in on somebody enough, like that story will progress, maybe not in a direction you want it to, but it yeah, will yeah. progress. And I think that what I like about Final Fantasy VII in particular, I guess, is that that sense of almost cynicism with the fantasy genre. Like no one is really excited by magic yeah. in that world. I think actually when there's a flashback where you're with Sephiroth and Tifa and Cloud and they find materia like formating in the natural environment, which I think works because no one's really like a mage in this world. They're Everyone's just yeah. like a person. So I like how they explain people can, you know, summon Shiva. <laughs> Cloud was like, oh, it's like, this is magic. And Sephiroth's like, no, like the science community would mock you for using such a word. Like this is sci-fi. It's almost like a sci-fi game that's like trying to be like, no, I'm yeah. not fantasy. It's interesting though that it kind of straddles that line. It definitely does. And I, and I love that idea that it's so embedded in the cult. Like you're, you're walking into a world where the idea of magic is so embedded that they're like, this isn't even magic anymore. 
It's fascinating. Right. And you, you get that a lot too in eight where there's a whole military academy of teenagers who like are given a summon as like a training badge, mm. basically, you know, which I actually really like the environment of eight quite a bit. And I think there was a part of me that was really drawn to seven and eight as a kid because I just I thought it was so different yeah. and weird. You know, like I love Star Wars. I loved Lord of the Rings and all that. But I hadn't yet seen a piece of fantasy that involves like driving around a city and hanging out in like a crowded <laughs> yeah. like, restaurant. You know, like I loved that. I don't know what yeah. it was about it that maybe I'm just a weirdo, but that that really that really uh, appealed to me and still does. No, I think I think like look at the way Harry Potter treats magic, right? Like for everyone else right. who's not Harry and and the and you, the viewer, the person who's who's intaking all of this stimuli that they're showing you for everyone else magic is just a normal part of everyday life and it's like completely ho-hum and like the most interesting moments i think of those movies is is seeing the like weird thing that's happening in the background right like the the bartender who's literally taking cups and then making them disappear into the handkerchief instead of like washing them and putting them somewhere else like those moments where the camera just pans by the person doing that are like the most interesting moments of that because it's so mundane to them in a way and it's so interesting to you yeah, that's I, I think. Um, have you seen Last Airbender? Have you watched that? I somehow haven't. And people oh. are shocked because that's a very yeah. what I'll say show. about that without like spoiling um, anything is like the the yeah. interesting thing about that show is that you kind of get it both ways. Whereas in Harry Potter, like Harry is the audience surrogate in that sense. Right. So he's right. always like has a sense of wonder whenever he sees anything wild happening until, you know, the later stuff where he is uh, like a full on badass kind of thing for some reason. But anyway, mm-hmm. in, in The Last Airbender, you have these societies, you have the Fire Nation and the Water Nation and, and the Earth Nation that are all like very just kind of set in their ways and seeing other people bending in different ways isn't really surprising to them. So you could just kind of see what societies that can bend fire or water or earth kind of look like and it's just like very mundane to them. And the thing that's surprising to them is when Aang, who's the protagonist, shows up and he is the last airbender. Seeing him do airbending is like holy shit this is wild yeah, so you yeah. kind of get both sides of it which i love I, I think it's important for any fantasy story to kind of i don't need rules but it's like what is considered out of the ordinary right i think that's a really interesting like barrier to set in, yeah. in a story so it's like you know when you when you see the airbending you're like oh this is something that i'm not yeah. used to seeing i was trying to draw parallels back to ff7 i think the first time in that game the characters are amazed at what's happening is when you leave midgar mm. for the first time which i mean i'm not gonna really worry about spoiling the game too much i won't get into anything else really but i would say the first like four to five hours of that game yeah. are in midgar which is the heavily polluted place so at that point you're kind of set up to believe that most most of the game, if not all of it, is going to take place yeah. in Midgar. But you do finally escape. There's a song that plays. I have to say, this, if nothing else, this game is carried by the soundtrack. It is unreal. And it's such a varied score, too. Because you get, like, you know, whimsical melodies. The boss theme is, again, very 90s, yeah. like, guitar riffs. But there's a really beautiful song that plays when you're finally outside of Midgar. And you're like, you see green mm. for the first time. Because the whole palette has been so, like, every town is, like, twisted wires. There's, like, a weird mechanical hand at one point that's just, like, in the 
in the background like what is this everything's built with junk and the only places that are really outside of that are where Aerith lives and there's like a beautiful garden and, and calm music and then when you leave Midgar for the first time and you see green and then all of a sudden you see the world map and when you play that game for the first time you're like oh my god there's a whole yeah. world out there because the whole time Barrett's like we had to save the planet we had to save the planet and you're like god this this city is so like hanging on to a thread like there's really yeah. There's never that sense. It's almost backwards. We talked about kind of the the hero's journey in RPGs in an older episode and how usually it starts with like the quiet, like doing chores at the quiet moment in the town and you get a sense of like what life is like before the adventure starts. But here you get nothing but awfulness and then you get out and you're like, there's a world, there's grass, there are trees, there are other towns that are outside of like Shinra's immediate grasp. It really is an exciting experience. And I would say if you were to pick that game up, I think it's 15 bucks, which I think is the cheapest port of it available if memory serves that's where i would say to give that game to once you get out of midgar if you're if you're feeling it keep going and if you're like eh, I, I think i'm done like that's yeah. fine because i think that that's like the first big act and i would say it gets better there it, it starts to pivot from shinra being the antagonist to mm-hmm. sephiroth which yeah. is interesting and like that's a fun there's a reason why you see that guy everywhere he's a great villain yeah. so yeah, I, I'm just having a great time. It, it is so difficult for me to talk about this game without sounding like I'm just like looking through a yearbook, <laughs> as I've said in the yeah. past, or, you know, like talking about like the band that got me into music or whatever. Talking about Dad Rock, this game, I think this game is Dad Rock in a weird <laughs> way, but in a good way. Yeah, I, I don't honestly know if I'd recommend it to anyone who hasn't played it. I honestly think I feel better about doing so after playing it. Like when we talked about FF9, I was like, I don't know, seven might be one to skip if you, if you missed it. But I think there's at least a unique enough flair here that you might enjoy that because I have not seen yeah, that elsewhere. Even since, weirdly. Yeah. Oddly enough, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VII uh, on the Switch. It's a good port. I haven't really noticed much of an issue. They haven't fixed a lot of the stuff. Like I think if you're expecting like a better localization or, or translation, you're out yeah. of luck. But that also gives me more fodder for. Uh, I know the FF7 remake is like the white whale of Sony at this point. Yeah, but I think that if there's any if there's any one to be remade, it is probably this one. I think that like it'd be interesting to to see what what they do with it. I don't need it, but I'd be curious to see how it how it works. Yeah, honestly, you talking about Final Fantasy VII on the Switch is just getting me more excited for whatever inevitable remake we're gonna get, unless they cancel it. If it's the story and the characters with a better translation and combat from FF15, that might be like sort of the truest form of this game. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like I know there are gonna be people out there if they change it from turn-based to active combat are going to be like, oh, this sucks. They're going to hate it. But for some reason that... The really thing too is like FF7 still exists for you to yeah, play. You totally, know, if you don't yeah. like it. Like... And I think I think there's a lot to like about the polygons are what they are. I actually kind of like them because they're basically, if you look at their design, they're the classic SNES sprites just rendered in 3D yeah. polygons. And I think that the backgrounds in this game are stunning, like really, really beautiful. Even in the in the dismal yeah. settings, they're really like weird and and cool. This game I think has the strongest sense of environment. I think like they really like between the the soundtrack and the backgrounds and 
and and just the overall setting between like Midgar and parts of Midgar and once you get out in the world map and all the towns that follow that it's like an instrument being played they just give you the exact mood they want you to be in yeah what I I think the best indicator of that is you sent me a song uh, the other day you were like oh I really love the soundtrack and then you sent me a song and I listened to it and I was like I have no idea in what scenario this song would be appropriate and like knowing that it, it forms like a perfect cohesion with the environment is is really interesting and it kind of makes me want to check that out in that context yeah absolutely i think even now we're kind of back to fantasy games and sci-fi games occupying a, a similar kind of expected place like as much as i love the elder scrolls games like that is about as fantasy like that's the most fantasy ass game yeah. you can get you know <laughs> like hello uh i, I gotta stop <laughs> doing that voice but yeah man i i would love for you to check this game out especially because you have never yeah. tried it i think if you have 15 bucks to spare you could do a lot worse i still think you'd probably like nine more i think nine i don't know nine nine feels a bit more magical this game goes out of its way to not feel yeah. magical in a traditional sense but i think that's kind of the charm and seeing the party they all have their own goals and their own kind of sense of vengeance and seeing them shift to caring more about each other and and kind of like you know they're they're always saying let's save the planet but what does that really mean other than kind of saving right. each other i think that's a really beautiful thing and yeah i this game rules it's just it's uh i would be i would be significantly less nerdy if i didn't play this game at age seven <laughs> and i i say that as a good thing i think if i didn't play this game uh i would be on a different road yeah i'm glad i did now i'm trying to think what my version of that is it might be spider-man one for the playstation 2 yeah my my obsession with that game narrated by norm mcdonald for some reason yeah <laughs> <laughs> really wow um but anyway Final Fantasy VII for the Nintendo Switch. It's $15 and also available on other platforms. Yeah, it rules on the Switch. I just love having it handheld. And also, like, I have my PlayStation 1 copy, but it's three discs. I got to, like, open my PS2. Talk that That is the definition of dad rock, is opening your PS2 and putting in disc two while your back aches. And Hanson throws throws eggs at your window like, idiot, you're not a man. You're, you're not a boy. <laughs> Sorry, I've messed, I've messed okay. all that up. Yeah, that that's my that's my like greatest secret is that I actually have a copy of Final Fantasy VII for for PS One and Do I you? never played for, it yeah. for PlayStation. No, I, I had it when I had a PS Two, which was back. Oh wow! Yeah, I honestly, if you have a PS Two, keep it. That that library is incredible, and you know you can play all the PS One yeah. games too. Let's okay. take a break. <laughs> Uh, Brendan, I, I want to apologize and thank you simultaneously for letting me talk about FF7 so soon after our Final Fantasy episode. Well, I'm excited for you to talk about Final Fantasy 10, 10, 2, and 12 over the next couple weeks. I'm curious if we will. I actually got 10 and 10, 2 remastered on the PS4 because it was on sale for like five bucks or something. I was like, yeah. oh, obviously. You have a... A stronger connection to 10, I think, than I do. I do. Which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's an unfortunate yeah. story. <laughs> it's the closest yeah. I've ever come to getting into Final Fantasy. And then I had it snatched away from me by Sony. I think 10 is a good one. I, I, I think I, I've, my experience with the series is mostly with 4 through 10. Never played 10, too. Maybe I'll check yeah. that out. Let's take, right, a break let's take a break and then come back. And I want to talk a little bit more about Sekiro. I would love to do that. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hearing you talk about Final Fantasy just kind of makes me question my own 
like video game upbringing and the things that I have connections to because I don't know if there's anything that I played when I was younger that I have that kind of connection with. You know what it is too, honestly, and I just I just kind of realized this now. Not to get like too into it, but I just made the connection that '97 was when my parents split up. Basically, mm. I was kind of at an age where like, I remember being bummed out by it, but it wasn't. I wasn't old enough to really register right. what was happening really and like as far as divorces go it was i mean they're all bad but it was like handled appropriately and i still saw like my parents but i would basically alternate between houses every other week and i had my dad had a playstation and we had nintendo at my mom's house which oddly i associate them with in a weird way and both both positives and i was very lucky that i i had a good relationship with both parents but I think that there was sort of a sense of stability there of kind of returning to a story that meant a lot to me over and over again. And I would I would play that game a lot like in those years. And I, ne- I never wanted to beat it. I would usually just get to a point in the story that I liked and I would start again. Wow. Interesting. I did that a lot with Zelda too. Like I'll get to the water temple and be like, nah, and then <laughs> start over. And there was a security in that for me of of kind of cyclically going through, kind of like rewatching a movie or re-listening yeah. to an album. Like I would I didn't want the adventure to end. And I, I don't mind sharing that because I that's my association with the game. And 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 like I was saying before with things aging well, like if you have heavy associations with a piece of media, it doesn't matter. It, it's just what you have. And I think that that is worth kind of reflecting on and, and worth celebrating yeah. in a way, um, even if you even if you can kind of objectively be like, OK, I know this isn't the best thing ever, but it's mine in a way that I know won't mean the same to mm-hmm. someone else. I think that. I, yeah, I just, I really, I have like a very special place in my heart for this game. I think it is kind of, you mentioned this with Kingdom Hearts 2, that's a game you play kind of like whenever there's sort of a stressful point in your life or whatever, you kind of come back to that. And it's like, uh, I think the closest parallel I can do is it's like listening to a album. I noticed this with bands. I do my best to change up what I'm listening to and really seek out new artists like you do. I'm kind of inspired by you in that way. But I know that I love a band if I go back to them and I'm like, oh my God, like I might go, like actually the Pixies, we were talking about Dad Rock before, but the Pixies is one of those bands for me. That was my first concert, which was way cooler than I have any right to yeah. sound. I was like glasses and braces, <laughs> probably just played Final Fantasy VII. And I was like, play, uh, play Broken uh-huh. Face, please. <laughs> um, but I think that when you have those handfuls of, of pieces of media that like reminds you, it almost recenters yourself. It reminds you like not who you are, but maybe maybe like what you look for and and what what you like surrounding yourself with and I don't know. It's a nice check-in for me. And I think that's kind of why I never really sought to beat a game. I just kind of like like a weird cyclical experience. And I think you, you, it was nice of you to say that that kind of makes you question your own experience with games because if memory serves, you got into them like a little later, right? I know you're a Sega. Yeah, kid I had a up. Sega Genesis. I played uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog games like a lot, and that was like kind yeah. of it. And then every once in a while, I would go to Funko Town. Do you remember Funko Town? <laughs> I wish I did. I wish I had my associations with Funko there Town. Are, there were two Funko Towns near us growing up, uh, and I would go there and just go into the bargain bin and just like see what Sega Genesis games they had because yeah. at that point that's probably Comic Zone. Yeah, that's where Comic Zone came from. That's how I played like Vector Man, which was like yeah. the, the poor man's Metroid for people that didn't have Nintendo consoles. Sure. And I just remember picking those games out because like the next generation of consoles had already been out, and like that's what everybody was playing. So I would go to friends' 
houses and play like Crash Team Racing and stuff and be like, oh my God, this is what video games look like. And then I would go home and play Vector Man again or Comic Zone. Um, <laughs> and then eventually I got a PS2. That was my first like real, real console. Uh, my parents got it for my birthday. And that was like mine because the Sega Genesis was my dad's. He got that like when I was born to like cope gotcha. I think, with having a baby. Yeah. Um, yeah and then yeah. The, the PS2 was like mine and it came with Spider Man, the first one. And I was like yeah. very into Spider Man at that point in my life. So I like fully fell in love with that but you know i think you mentioning kingdom hearts 2 really is that is the moment for me that's the moment where like a game fucked me up like for real yeah um, <laughs> and then from then on it, it was just like seeking out weird new experiences constantly and honestly the next game that i can think of that like really attached to me in that way is probably twilight princess I think weirdly yeah. enough, that was my first Zelda. That was my first. Um, that was my first Nintendo console that I owned. And then after that is probably Gone Home, which is weird. It's like yeah. years and years later. Like you know, there's all the Pokemon games in between there. Like obviously those mean a lot to me and stuff. But I, I think it's like Kingdom Hearts two, Twilight Princess. I mean, I I did everything in that game in a way that I had never done before and then after having that experience went back and did that with Kingdom Hearts 2 and then after that was gone home was like oh my god games can be a completely different thing than I thought they could be and then that was me like seeking out indie games in a way that I had never done before and that became like kind of who I was and that's like when we started writing for that video game site like that was my thing for a bit was like I would just play all the weird indie shit that nobody else wanted to play and talk about what was happening Mm -hmm. on like weird forums (laughs) <laughs> wow that was a weird interstitial um but yeah no that was cool though it was worth it was worth examining because i think i mean at the end of the day this show is about our love for games i think it's it's worth kind of digging deep and and look at why sometimes past like it's fun yeah you yeah, know totally the same with 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 movies and with books and everything i think that it's interesting cause it, it's really fascinating to me that ps2 was your first because i didn't have a choice i could not avoid being a dork because i was born and my parents i think my sister's five years older so they all had a nes like the first nintendo yeah. we had the duck hunt slash mario cartridge which i still think is like the best yeah. game ever yeah, totally that like that's kind of all you need everything in life and in games is somehow a deviation from duck hunt or that that dual cartridge yeah. but yeah <laughs> then and then after that it was I was pretty much like a Nintendo kid only until FF7. I remember like hearing about that and reading about that and like wanting a PlayStation for that mm-hmm. game. I also had Odd Worlds. Do you play yeah, those games? Yeah, I did. That game was so weird. It was like farting and praying. Like, what is this? <laughs> uh, anyway, that's probably a good note to end on, but I enjoyed getting personal with you. That was fun. We should do that more often. Yeah, absolutely. I can tell you about yeah. the time that my dad downloaded uh, NES emulators on our gateway PC, and that's how I <laughs> started playing the backlog of Nintendo stuff I'd missed. Can I tell you, can I end with one last FF7 sure. thing? So my dad and I played a lot of games together growing up. The one we, the one he really liked was actually Resident Evil 2 and Tekken 3. Wow. So Great. we would, kind of like I do with you, we would ambiently play fighting games while talking, yeah. which is like something I love and no one else does, because <laughs> they're like, I'm trying to concentrate. But we'd play Tekken 3, we would do a A first 8, random team battle which was great the game we played like together was resident evil 2 because that game at the end of the day is kind of a puzzle like adventure game that kind of happens to have zombies in it so it was like a fun thing to figure out together and ff7 he never played but he liked watching me play or at least he 
he did. I don't know if he liked it, but he was a father who <laughs> didn't have a choice. Yeah. And I remember I was like, do you want to play? And he's like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And I'm like, okay. Like it was some random encounter. Like I was going from town to town. Like here, like you can fight these guys. I'll be right back. And I went to get a glass of water and I came back and I just heard the game over music. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe you got killed. By them. <laughs> I just, the game, it's like, it's like, oh my God, can't trust you. No, it was very funny. But yeah, I thought that was a good note to end on. Game over, Dad. Game over, Dad. That's the title. On yeah. to the next segment. Yes. Goodbye. Bye. Brendan, I want to hear about Sekiro. I'm tired of yakking away about FF7. Big deal. Who cares? Big deal. Who even likes Final Fantasy games? You're not You're not a boy band because you're not a boy anymore. Yeah. Okay, my, Isaac, Zach, and Taylor, we're Hanson, and we're boys. You're not a real gamer until you've played Bloodborne <laughs> without taking a single hit. I would watch the... I I literally didn't know. Like, I just made our Twitch account the other day for our stream. But, like, if Hanson had a streaming service, I would be all about that. I would love that. Are you... When you say if Hanson had a streaming service, do you mean if they were streaming on Twitch, like, playing video games? Or do you Yeah, mean, that's what I meant. Okay. Yeah. Or, or if Hanson founded their own switch called like mbop well what i was what i what i envisioned was like you have spotify for every piece of music except hansen and then you pay a separate fee to download an app that's like hansify mbop does sound like a good app i would definitely download mbop i think i would too yeah I'm kind of yeah. disappointed that like, TikTok okay. isn't called Mbop now. I made a playlist for the party. It's got some good, like, it's got some personal tracks, but, like, overall, like, a pretty good crowd, crowd pleaser. Um, I will have to read, like, X out of that, that app and reopen Mbop to get in some hits, and then we'll go back to Spotify. <laughs> their cover of What Christmas Means to Me on Snowden, their classic holiday album, I'll have to switch over to Mbop to play that one. But also worth the monthly fee alone just to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You get some perks, like Zach sends you uh, some drumsticks in the mail. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a cool thing that you can do where it takes a picture of your face and tells you if you are in a boy band or not. <laughs> yeah, and no one is. Yeah, no one is. <laughs> even if you take a picture of like your son, they're like, not a boy yet. Even, even when Hanson takes pictures of themselves now, it says that they're not. Yeah, no one is a boy band anymore. Yeah, really easy to, to make that app. It just takes a picture of anything and says no. <laughs> <laughs> oh that messed me up okay brendan let's talk about uh you want to talk about sakura more yeah i do i do i've been playing it a whole bunch it's really the only thing that i've been playing since last week um so weird thing you and i recorded our episode last week all about sakura the whole time um, and then immediately after, you and I hopped into a PlayStation 4 party and just played Sekiro ambiently together. Yeah. Which was really great. And then you tweeted about it. And then we kind of realized after you tweeted about it, like that would make for an interesting stream. Um, yeah. And then as you just alluded to before, we ended up actually streaming us playing Sekiro ambiently but together uh, on Twitch. So now we have a Twitch account. It's twitch.tv slash into the cast, just like our Twitter account. Um, so it should be easy to find. But anyway, we're planning on doing that like more and maybe with different games and things like that. But that's besides yeah, the point. Yeah. It was it was just like a really interesting experience for the two of us to constantly be like fighting really difficult bosses while simultaneously like, yeah, Final Fantasy. I used to play that at my dad's house all the time. Like that, that was like great. <laughs> It was really, it was a really nice experience. You know, Junior Prom was fine, uh, but you know, oh shit! Yeah. Oh, I got left out to dry at the first of the two Senior Proms I went to. Anyway, so, 
So we did that, and 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 for that stream, I went back and started the game from the beginning because I was kind of curious, like, okay, how much have I actually learned? Because that's almost like one of the beauties yeah. of playing the FromSoft games is once you've get once you've gotten far enough, and you've kind of the word I keep using is internalized. Once you've like internalized how you're supposed to play those games, going back to the beginning and playing them again is like your true litmus test. Like the thing that took you four hours to get through, does it only take you 20 minutes now? And the answer to that was a resounding yes. Cause I almost got on our two hour stream, almost got as far as I had gotten up until that point in my own main save file, which was kind of wild to kind of fly through that stuff. Like going up and fighting bosses that took me like an hour by themselves, beating them on the first try or the second try was like yeah. wild to experience. So having done that stream and kind of like proving to myself, okay, I am actually learning how to play this game. I'm starting to play it on the terms that FromSoft has like kind of laid out before me. I was interested to finally have time to sit down and play it again on my main save and like see how that went. Because I was pretty much just like stuck on a couple bosses, which is why I did not want to use my main save for the stream. Because it was like, I don't want just two hours of me losing (laughs) over and over and over again. Yeah. So I went back to my main save and yesterday I played it literally all day from like the moment I woke up almost until the moment I went to sleep I stopped to watch Avengers Age of Ultron for the first time since I saw it in theaters <laughs> besides the point I'd like that I had a little Twitter thread about it. That movie has actually aged really really well um, and I think it's better now than when it came out. But. I remember having fun with it. It felt like that, not to get too into Age of Ultron, because that's not, I think, what anyone here is for. <laughs> <laughs> Us, the listener, the recording devices. Yeah. But um, it just kind of felt like overstuffed for the first time. It felt like, oh, the, it kind of had that, like, at least when I saw it, it felt like, oh, I'm really enjoying parts of this, but it feels like they had to jam in a lot. Yeah, they had to set up a lot. And what what the reason that it's good now in a way that it wasn't then, because I remember walking out of the theater and immediately being like, that was fine. It wasn't like great, but that was yeah. fine. The yeah. reason it works so well now is because all of those things that it set up super paid off. Like it sets up yeah, Civil War yeah. and Ragnarok and Black Panther and Infinity War. And all of those things are great. They're like right. kind of the four yeah, like a, best yeah movies in the entire mcu and the fact that those paid agree, off yeah. so well retroactively makes those moments of setup even better in in age of ultron that's really interesting yeah. i i think that that's kind of the 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 tragic fate of of media in a serialized format because at the end of the day the mcu is kind of serialized oh, right yeah. it's you know it's structured like the comics are which i think is really cool and and neat but i think about that like I, i've been reading a lot of um I have a couple long running series that I follow like Saga which I mentioned earlier that's a series that might have like three volumes that are just set up <laughs> and like while you're reading them you're like okay like I trust that this is going to lead to somewhere cool but like I'm kind of getting a little fatigued yeah. but then when you get there I think like you said you might have same with uh, FF7 with the little hints sprinkled in of, of, of Cloud's state like those actually stand out way more effectively when you know, when you know yeah. what's going to happen totally. which is interesting yeah, yeah that there's a whole I feel like we could do a whole separate thing that's not on this podcast just about like how how revisiting media can change your outlook on it and like is a work better because of what comes later is that even allowed things like that but yeah we are getting so much more mature in this episode than we once like we're talking about like personal things and like well media once was but never will (laughs) oh I agree you're usually like like I'm doing the thing with my armpit right yeah yeah for for those listening Uh, we've grown up yeah (laughs) <laughs> well I, you still did do the armpit thing <laughs> yeah it's not better with i i can't uh put up a meta shield of referential defense yeah anyway sekiro sekiro i played it basically all day yesterday i got 
so far in that game between yesterday and this morning. I I have beaten I don't even know how many bosses and mini bosses at this point. I've seen some wild shit, but I think most importantly, the the wall that I was stuck at right before we started that stream, and I would consider that like you and I kept talking about how like, okay, is this the wall? Is this the wall? Is this mini boss the wall? Is this main boss the wall? Is this area the wall? Like, where is the wall in this game? And then you and I kind of like <laughs> yeah. landed on every single mini boss and boss is a wall because they're all teaching you different things and you have to learn right. that thing to get past it, which inherently makes it a wall. There is a boss at the top of a castle that is literally like the wall it's like everything that you've learned up until that point blended into one boss who like is the antagonist of the game he is the main bad guy and it's kind of wild to like even say that there is a main bad guy in one of these games yeah because usually from software games again like you meet a boss and they might have a grand presence but you're like i don't don't have any association with who this is you normally don't learn about characters until after you've beaten them right which is yeah you'll like pick up their like left ear and then it'll have like an item description (laughs) that's like it'll be like isaac the forgotten loved listening to my bloody valentine in the late 90s oh man isaac was so isaac was great i wish i didn't just murder him and he dissolved into dust yeah so so there is like a main bad guy and and you fight him at the top of this castle and that is like the hard stop point of that game i think and there are like a bunch of different Mm -hmm. branching paths that you can take before you fight him and you can go fight other bosses and do other things but like that is what progresses the story and and i was stuck Mm -hmm. on him for maybe like two straight hours like just fighting losing fighting losing learning a little bit every single time starting to like maybe get through his first phase by the skin of my teeth things like that and and eventually clearing him has now brought me into this entire like new version of this game to me because I've now unlocked we, we talked a little bit about this last week but like your your left arm gets severed in the first like 10 minutes of the game and it's replaced with this thing called the shinobi prosthetic which is just like a, a mechanical arm that can be outfitted with like a thing that shoots fire out or shurikens or like it can turn into an axe and you can like use it to break shields things yeah. like that I've now unlocked so many of these shinobi prosthetic tools and have upgraded them in like various ways that every single fight is kind of like I am doing whatever I need to and whatever I want to to survive like if I if I notice that a shuriken staggers a a boss even a little bit like that's my go-to for this fight and that's great yeah Um, I've gotten to the point where like you do a lot of fights early on that are teaching you about about the um, the posture bar and like how filling it up will allow you to do a death blow on a person I've gotten to the point now where there are some enemies where that's just not a viable strategy anymore and it really is about making sure your posture bar doesn't break you have no chance in hell of breaking their posture ever so you just have to whittle down their health and really learn their attacks and it becomes kind of like a more classic FromSoft game and what i've noticed is that as it starts to lean into that more and as i'm starting to fight more enemies that are just like health kind of like endurance tests the ogre is like that i think it's the first enemy kind of like that yeah yeah a little bit yeah the the ogre definitely is kind of like a hint of what's to come but as it starts to lean into more of those endurance tests i've noticed that the game is getting more fantastical and more horrific and the designs of the bosses are starting to get more like terrifying and they literally do a version of damage to you so there's like a poison bar that fills up and then once it fills up you're poisoned there's a burn bar that once it gets filled up you're like literally on fire and you have to like jump into water there's a terror bar that fills up and when it fills up all the way you the player character are terrified and you move slower and you have a harder time doing things it kind of like puts you off kilter because the things that are happening to you are so fucking horrific without spoiling 
too much. There's there's a mini boss you can find very early in the game. He's like hidden off to the side and he's literally called Headless. Uh, and when that dude is near you, your terror bar starts filling up. Like just being in the presence of this headless being is enough to like kind of fuck you up and make you start moving slower and like make your attacks not land as much. It's really fascinating because he is surrounded by regular dudes and generals and like whatever. Like it's very normal up until you find that. Um, and, and I'm at a point now where like every enemy has some like terrifying twist to it. Uh, and, and it's oh, kind wow. of created a, a new game in a way. Like once I got past that first guy at the top of that castle, it was like everything that I thought I knew about this game kind of gets thrown out the window and all the enemies are like respawning constantly and like they can resurrect as well in weird ways. And like, it's a bunch of, from like a lore standpoint, it's a bunch of different kinds of people chasing after the same resurrection mechanic that you have and like kind of throwing throwing away their humanity to get it, which is a very like Bloodborne and Dark Souls kind of thing. Yeah, that's a common from software story trait, which is always works, though. It always works. And what I love about this game is that it leans so heavily into it because you, the player character, have an actual stake in it. Like you have been granted this gift to respawn, which is like the most video gamey video game thing. But they've managed to weave it into a story that that is being told in such a way where it kind of just like reveals itself to you in like very quiet and sad moments. Yeah, it's, it's, wonderful. it's interesting to make a story element out of what is so often just like an expected feature. Yeah. I talk about Undertale all the time, but Undertale is probably the biggest example I can think of where saving and naming your character yeah. and all that shit that we take for granted is like huge in the story. Right. And I won't say anything else. I mean, God, I've spoiled that game already, but you know, it's it's taking advantage of the medium to like where what other nook and cranny can we put plot into where like the player is still playing the game. Like we're not gonna stop the action for it. Yeah. Like, this game does have the most cutscenes, but like still the cutscenes are there as like a very strong anchor to otherwise everything being figured out on your own accord. Yeah. And I think it's worth pointing out, like as daunting as these games can be, going back and playing it again and realizing how far you've come, that's that's the joy of these games is yeah. realizing that your efforts are paying off. Right. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing to see because that's kind of in everything. You know, like we we so rarely see our own progress as people. I think the first time I kind of noticed that and it changed like how I saw things was when I started drawing more seriously. Mm. And the minute I decided that I was going to prioritize that, I noticed improvement. Yeah. And obviously that always is going to come. Like there's always going to be walls because you're never going to stop in, in all areas of life. You're never going to be like, that's it. I've reached my max potential. <laughs> But that should be exciting. And I think that if you can kind of train your brain to think that way with these games, it's like a mini version of that. And I think that that is, is oddly beautiful for such a game that's so horrific in some ways. It's interesting, too. We talked about earlier, like how magic is used. Final Fantasy VII, where it's kind of like debased to be like everything is exceedingly normal and, and society is doomed and, and like whatever. Cause, and that kind of goes with that game's story because Sephiroth's main incentive is that he feels a kinship with this angel race called the Cetra, I believe. And he's like, well, humanity is, is scum. Look at what they're doing. Yeah. You know, they're draining this planet of its life essence. I'm going to take over the planet and become a god. 
which is a very <laughs> classic Final Fantasy yeah. thing. But like the game does give you five hours of seeing the worst humanity has to offer. And you kind of see at least why he might think that way. But but I say all that because magic in that game is used in a way where people in that world are kind of conditioned to take it for granted or to not like think of it as magic. And then when something is magical, it kind of stands out. In Sekiro, that's a game where most of the enemies you meet are human. They might like wink at fantasy and some way but like as you said when you finally encounter enemies that are like more tied to the genre you'd expect they they feel more special and i and i think i think front loading that game with like five to ten hours of just regular ass dudes really does make that hit way harder the first time somebody throws lightning at you it's like whoa wait 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 wait, wait. that's not a thing that can happen in this game but then you remember i'm i'm a man with a with a mechanical arm in the sengoku era of japan who can resurrect every time he dies you know right so it's not really going for any kind of realism it's kind of like um it's kind of like the uh return of the oberdin moment that i talked about over the summer or whatever it was but yeah like the first time you see the kraken it's like oh my god what do you mean there's a kraken in this game and then you have to take a step back and say i'm a an investigator who has a pocket watch that allows me to see the moment when people die. It's like, of course, right. there and, would I, be and I think it's really, it's really important to plant those seeds, even if the reveal is big, because at the same time, we've also talked about games where like that might not be set up and then suddenly introduce introducing supernatural is like, Oh, I didn't need that. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I think that all the games we just pointed out, set it up brilliantly. Like Sekiro, like, you know, there's going to be some flair of, of fantasy or supernatural stuff going yeah. on. But still with enough doubt that you're surprised when you see it. And I think it's also like there's a moment in in our stream that is hilarious uh, that that we did with a giant white snake. It's a huge white (laughs) snake. It's 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 I don't even know how to describe how massive this thing is. It is like it really is like fantasy giant snake. And that stands out, too, because like, again, especially at that point in the game, you've only fought like generals and, and samurai. Right. So like seeing that is like, oh, my God, there's like fantastical elements in that. But you almost kind of forget it by the time you stumble upon like a fucking ghost. Like the first time I saw a ghost, I was like, oh my god there's ghosts in this game now okay sure whereas bloodborne every corner is like a dude with the werewolf sideburns and like a tentacle for a leg right. yeah but then even that game has its moment where like once you've beaten enough bosses you get enough what's called insight to start to see giant lovecraftian like alien yeah. monsters hanging around in areas that you've been before it's like i've been surrounded by these things at all times yeah that game starts off very jekyll and hyde and then becomes very cosmic as you go yeah. on which is interesting yeah. Jekyll and Hyde you know the themed restaurant in yeah that's what we're talking um, about <laughs> we talk about themed restaurants a lot yeah. I'm so it becomes excited. very so, Mars 2112 it becomes it goes from Jekyll and Hyde to Mars 2112 very cosmic yeah, and whereas uh, Sekiro starts off just like a any restaurant you've ever been to and becomes the rainforest cafe by the end it's a great place to shop and eat, Stephen. A wild place to shop and yeah, eat. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I have a Rainforest Cafe mug in my in my kitchen. I think it's cursed. Did you just buy it from your recent trip there, or have you had it forever? I did, yeah. I did recently go there. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> it was a bizarre experience, but uh, yeah. I, in in Sekiro, have, uh, I tweeted this. I was very proud. I beat Lady Butterfly, which I would consider the, the first wall, I guess. The first, like, big yeah. wall. Yeah, what's interesting about that fight is, like, you are very much allowed to put that fight off for as long as you want. Like, it's yeah, very, it's just a can. side area, and, and beating that does not progress the story in any, like, meaningful way outside of, like, filling you in on some stuff that's happened. Yeah, it's the, it's the end of a memory, basically. Yeah. 
But uh, I beat her and I beat the Flaming Bull. Those are the two bosses we got to in the stream were the, were the Flaming Bull and Lady Butterfly. Yeah. I beat both of them and I'm probably going to save. Uh, I got to another boss. I haven't gotten to the one you said that's beyond the castle. Um, we were originally planning on streaming later today, recording on Sunday. I think we're going to stream this week. So I might pick up where I am Yeah. Uh, since you're a little bit farther this ahead. This episode will already be out by the time our stream is over. Oh, <laughs> You were just a puppy back then. <laughs> this is a memory. This whole show is a memory. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a wonderful game, and I'm really excited to reach where you're at. You're making me excited to get back into yeah, it. Yeah, you're honestly um, on the precipice of like, I, I think I talked, because I was where you are when we talked about it last week. You are at the moment where like you start doing like wild rooftop fights and stuff with with like, yeah. they're called the Nightjar Ninjas, and, and they like flip around and do like all the wildest movements. And really you feel every time you parry their attacks, it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then you get in like one or two hits and then death blow them. And it's like, fuck, I am the it's coolest. It's interesting because, yeah, the game sets you up like you're, you know, it's clear that a shinobi at least in the game, like a shinobi style of fighting is very effective against kind of the more traditional samurai who are like, yeah. you know, announcing their presence loudly, both vocally mm-hmm. and with their outfits and their like, whereas, you know, you're kind of engaging in more of a guerrilla warfare. But then when you're fighting enemies who do that too, yeah. suddenly like, oh shit, okay, I gotta, I gotta really show that I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's, I think Lady Butterfly is a clear example of that, who she is fighting like a shinobi, like times yeah. 10. Yeah, it's it's like implied that she trained you at some point and yeah. you and her have some kind of history. So like it's not too surprising when she starts whipping out some of the wildest like stealth shit ever against you, somebody who has yeah, spent she, your entire first five hours backstabbing people. The first two bosses are like really cool characters too. Like that's another from software thing where like you really do get enamored with the boss characters, like in a sense of lore and like what their role in the story right. was. I think the fact that Sekiro is personally tied to these characters makes it even more impactful. Because yeah. you're kind of a nameless observer. Like the only character you really have a connection to in Bloodborne is the doll, really. Right. Or maybe some of the people in the chapel. But the doll is the only person who kind of singles you out. Right. And maybe Garman, but he's kind of MIA most of the time. But at the same time, all of those people are with the exception of the doll are, are those that you form connections with by exploring the world. Whereas in Sekiro, these are connections that have existed for years and years. And you're just like, as yeah. the player coming in and, and learning about this later after the fact, this is the first from software game. Like I do want to beat bloodborne. Cause we've talked about that game a lot. And I, I'm actually really excited to go back to bloodborne. I am 100% going this. back and playing bloodborne as soon as I'm done with Sekiro. Yeah. We sh- that might, that might be like the first uh, spooky season game we can Ooh, cover. Yes, please. Maybe. Yeah, that that might be also a really fun thing to stream once Halloween yeah, is around totally. the corner. Just some plans being made. <laughs> that was the most dad rock thing I've ever said. Like, hey, tonight we're not playing by the rules, baby. <laughs> um, yuck. But um, Sekiro, I feel like I need to finish. I, I talked just moments ago about not really wanting to beat games often. Mm-hmm. This is a game that I feel like will come to a very striking, just like a death blow. I feel like the plot is building up to like really, because usually the ends of these games are also cryptic, yeah. right? Like the secret ultra hidden ending of Bloodborne is like, what am I supposed to make of yeah. this? Uh, it's fascinating and it's cool and those games, like you will have such a sense of relief once you, like I did it, I beat it. Oh, thank God. Okay, whatever this is, cool. Yeah. But it also requires like a two and a half hour YouTube explainer video to understand <laughs> what happened. Right. Dark Souls is a bit more straightforward. You either put out the the fire or 
become it basically yeah. uh which is a cool thing i love that last shot dark souls one spoiler but walking down with the the row of the snake mm-hmm. heads watching you but yeah i i think that sekiro is a game that i do want to see all the way to the end i i'm determined i don't know if I, i'm not gonna like platinum it or anything and we'll talk about what game we want to platinum before the year's over if we still want to do that yeah. but i definitely need to finish this game i need to see what happens yeah. which is a rare thing to say in from software because usually like i'm curious to see what happens i don't know what will this is a game where it's like i need to know how this yeah ends. the thing that motivated me most in bloodborne was the curio of like just seeing more and more horrific things over time and like as it started to get more cosmic was like i have to see how far they're going to push this before the end of it yeah. this game really is like oh shit there's like an actual narrative that i'm like invested in in completing now i'm doing like a very again not to spoil anything but i'm doing like a very dark souls kind of thing where there are like two main things so like in dark souls one you have to ring a bell at the top of the world and you have to ring a bell at the bottom of the world and i'm kind of doing a very similar thing in Sekiro right now where i need to pick a flower from one area of the world and i have to pick a flower from another area of the world for a very specific reason and i'm like extremely invested in doing that right now and i just picked the first yeah. of two and now i'm on my way to the second one not to brag but like i'm getting pretty good at this game <laughs> It is interesting that the game the game felt a little bit like less open in the first few hours. It really is until you get to the horseback general. Yeah. The game starts to open up a bit and then it opens it opens up like more and more and more as you yeah, play. It, it is extremely wild how open this game is for me right now. Like there's so many paths yeah. that go down. It's awesome. Which is cool. Which honestly, I think that this is probably a good game to start with. I know we talked about it last time. I was like, I don't know. Like this feels like both the best and worst game to start with if you're new to From Software. Yeah. And I still think that way. But I think just the way it's paced and the way it's structured might be enough for me to be like, maybe start with this one if you're like brand new and just kind of want to see. I think it does highlight what they're good at while also kind of packaging it in a way that's like a little bit more attainable. Yeah. Yeah, a mutual friend of ours uh, started playing Bloodborne a couple of years ago and like bounced off it really hard and has now gotten into Sekiro in like a really intense way. And now because of how far he's gotten in Sekiro, wants to go back and check out the other FromSoft stuff. That's amazing. Yeah, because I think uh, I, I think that these games are beautiful and like I don't want anyone to think like, oh, I'm not good at video games. I can't play it like I'm not either. But the game will the game will make you good at this game. That's the best thing I could say yeah. about it. Is there, like, I mean, there really is like. You, I think you have to have a very specific kind of brain to like want to do this. Also, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> that's really if you true. if you if that's you are like seventy thirty, like I don't think that this is for me. Like, it probably isn't, honestly. And there's been a lot yeah, of discussion that's, online, that's and I kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit. There's been a lot of discussion online, like, should these games have difficulty modes in them? Like, right now, I feel like the the FromSoft community is more about gatekeeping than anything else, and always has been. Like, the get good mentality has always been like the kind of driving force behind that community, which is kind of just like really yeah. gross. And like a lot yeah, of it stems from like saying i was able to beat this game without getting hit once or i didn't die a single time and like aren't i yeah a that's like that's like the recess mentality of like oh yeah well like my house is four bathrooms like, nah, 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 nah. Yeah, you know yeah, like exactly. it's like cool and man. like yeah. honestly I, th- I think what's great about the the conversation happening online right now is like if you were to add difficulty modes to this game all that would change is instead of you saying i was able to beat sekiro would be you saying i was able to beat sekiro on hard mode you know like Right. That's the only thing that changes. Right. Like you, you still get to fucking gloat and be an asshole, <laughs> you know. And like, not that that's a thing that you should yeah. be doing, but like, don't prevent people from playing and enjoying 100%. the game ever. And actually, I think Miyazaki was interviewed, and and he was actually kind of sad to hear that people were deterred to playing it. 
because of the difficulty. And he actually did consider putting in a difficulty mm. mode because he's like, I want the thing is, I think with Dark Souls in particular, the difficulty is kind of part of that world. I think there's a certain point in Bloodborne and Dark Souls and Sekiro 2 where and Hollow Knight, you know, the, the difficulty is it's done in a way where I think it does add to the environment, to the story, yeah. especially with like a lot of the plot seems to be about these people wanting the respawn mechanic and, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. death is being such a, like it's such a precious resource yeah. uh, to, to come back. And I think that that's hammered to the 11th degree because of how difficult the game yeah. is. I will say that I think honestly, I think the difficulty adjustment in bloodborne and in dark Souls is to summon a friend, which I think is beautiful. I think like help, having, having people help you, you and Bloodborne and Dark Souls makes boss fights exponentially yeah. easier. Yeah, and that's only driven home in in the one mini boss that we talked about last week in Sekiro, where you do have a friend in the game. Like there is a guy who is yeah. like, "I'm going to help you fight this dude," and like doing that fight with that extra dude makes it about ten times easier. I think the point that's worth making is like, if Sekiro had an easy mode, that would still be extremely hard for a lot of people. You know, sure. And like, no, I agree. I, I think like the idea of the world being kind of untamable and and hard to make it through without dying like that's not going to go away just because there's an easy mode in the game that's true and there's also like fire emblems another game series that's known for being very difficult and i think the that game does let you play i think it's normal and hard which is kind of funny because there is no easy mode but if you play on normal you can also turn off the permadeath so if you just want to experience it without that and then it's like then if you enjoy that and you want to challenge yourself and you kind of have enough of a basic understanding of the mechanics you can flip it back on i think that like i think you're right in that with these types of games there can be the preferred way to play it like based on like the creator's intent while also letting it be more accessible i i am i'm honestly more in favor of the difficulty mode without without the gatekeeping angle i do get the kind of concerns of that for this series in particular um because so much of it is so kind of cryptic and out of reach and out of your control that i think adding that but i mean i can also see your point of like (laughs) there's so much cool stuff to experience in this game that i wouldn't want that withheld from someone who is like a a person who enjoys games on like a less frequent basis who probably doesn't have the like go-to muscle memory to pull off a lot of this yeah. stuff and that's like you shouldn't be denied an experience because of that so i'm, I'm with you i think yeah. i think having a difficulty slider would would be a good option i think with this game in particular too with sekiro yeah. but i think that in the past I, I think that the easy mode was inviting friends, which I think is a cool way to do yeah, that. Absolutely. Like, it's not a slider. It's like, okay, like you're actually going to get help from people who want to help you, which I think is kind of a beautiful yeah. thing. Reminds me of uh, Nier Automata, you know, like a similar mm-hmm. kind of vibe yeah, there. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm a sucker for that. Yeah. yeah, accessibility. It's a good thing. Should we wrap up? We should wrap up. And I agree. I would love everyone to experience Sekiro and not have to deal with the stress that we are enduring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's honestly like that's one of my main things about Hollow Knight is like I recommend that game to so many people and I know that not everybody should play it, you know, and like if there was an easier right. mode in that game and you still got to experience the story the same way, like easy mode is still going to be hard for some people and, and you still get to experience a world that doesn't want you there. That's kind of why I, I've been I've been playing FF7 for a bit because I'm like, OK, like I feel like I got to a nice like bookend in Sekiro. Like I need to take a little bit of yeah. a break. Something that is is like exceedingly familiar. I have moments of that game just like stuck in my unconscious forever. Mm-hmm. Like I know the beats, I know the animations. Yeah. Like, it's like you have a song stuck in your head and you need to listen to it once to get it out. Yeah, exactly. So that's a fun game to play like in in the odd hours of the day on handheld. Yeah. But I'm very excited to go more in, in Sekiro. And yes, accessibility is a good thing. Let's wrap yes. up. 
Uh, hey, thanks so much to everybody who listens to this show. If you like it a whole bunch, please head over to iTunes and write a review. That would be amazing. Thank you to everybody who's done that so far. Yeah, for real. Thank you. Uh, we have a Twitter account. It's at Into the Cast. We also now have a Twitch account. It's at Into the Cast. You can follow us there and I guess turn notifications on. I think that's how that works. Uh, so you can get notified when yeah, we're going to stream. Yeah, we're, we're still working out like what our streaming schedule is. I don't know if it's going to be like a weekly thing, but we definitely want to make it some kind of regular Yeah, event. and I, th- I think honestly it could be instant where it's Steven and I together or it's either of us separately and like one of us is free and the other right. one's not and we could just hop on and just play whatever we're playing. So I, we'll, yeah. we'll figure out a way that makes sense. If you have any recommendations on that front, please feel free to hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I literally made my Twitch account moments before we streamed. I forgot I didn't have one. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> someone was kind enough to be like, oh, like I'm, su- I'm surprised not more people are here. I'm like, I just made yeah. this. So like I, I'm happy that, uh, that you're already supportive of it. But yeah, it was, it was a really fun time thanks to everyone who hung out with us um, while we streamed we're gonna do Sekiro again on Tuesday night I believe oh well that'll be <laughs> you were just a puppy back then we streamed yesterday yeah, exactly we'll let you know going forward like actually in advance of when we're planning on it and we'll probably be tweeting out that yeah. so if you want to know about streaming stuff follow us on twitter and then we'll go from yeah there. another thing i wanted to bring up that i've been thinking about more and more recently and and this is another instance where like i know we always say like tweet at us if if you have input on this and i know not everybody's on twitter so that makes it hard so like figure out any way to reach out to us if you have a strong feeling on this like one way or the other but if you want us to exist on other platforms elsewhere like if you want a like a closed facebook group or if you want a discord an instagram account anything like that like just let us know we're kind of like waiting for the demand before we kind of like dip into other stuff we've been taking it kind of slow depending on what people want and when so if there's a place where it is easier to reach you and easier to build a community for you please let us know yeah absolutely we would we would love to communicate more and hang out and talk about fun stuff The Twitter page has been a lot of fun, but yeah, like Brendan said, there's anything that works better. I, I've just been shown the beauty of Discord. It's been it's been fun to use yeah. for one of my group of friends. So yeah, I'm open to anything yeah. really. Absolutely. Um, LinkedIn, Friendster, Zanga, yeah. MySpace. Well, MySpace just deleted everything, so not MySpace, but down for Zanga. Yeah, down for Zanga. I'm actually kind of glad MySpace deleted everything because I'm like, somewhere there's 14-year-old Steven like, hey, I love p- the Pixies yeah. and uh, and wearing caps backwards. Yeah, Mangsty about my crush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. No, but uh, 14 was fine. Anyway, so all, all that having been said, uh, we're available on those two platforms for now and more if you want them. Outside of that, just want to give a shout out to uh, AJ Filari, our new editor and producer. Thank you so much uh, to him for editing the show. Thank you, AJ. Yeah, absolutely. And that honestly probably directly contributes to us having time to stream. I feel like. For real. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because you normally would edit right after. So we really appreciate AJ. And yeah, thank you for your hard work. Cool. Is there anything else? That's it. Like always, thanks for listening. We will be in touch about, I'd like to set up like a, um, either establish that it will be a moment by moment thing for streaming or if we like eventually find a day, but just like keep an eye out for that because I had a lot of fun with the last one. And uh, yeah, honestly, in terms of communication too, like if there's a, like Brendan said, if there's like another group that works better for you. Also, if you have any ideas of like things you'd like us to cover or, or topics you think are worth exploring, like we're willing to kind of expand the show shows like discussion 
if you will like i mean we're still new enough that like we're still open to trying out different things and and seeing what works so so yeah honestly whatever you got to say let us know yeah that really that's what boils down while uh you were talking about that i just opened up our dms on twitter uh so anyone can dm us whenever they want um so feel free to dm at into the cast on twitter if you have any thoughts or feelings one way or the other yeah exactly hopefully not the other let us know how you feel about (laughs) let us know how you feel about hansen's new app <laughs> All right. <laughs> See ya. Uh, yeah, so my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. Thank you for listening. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. You were just a puppy back you then. You were just a puppy. Mada mada. See you later. Bye. Start online.